Thanks for downloading the 19th in our series of episodes of the C-Suite podcast that we're recording in partnership with the European PR agency Taito and their own Without Borders podcast, where we are interviewing leaders of unicorn companies to find out about the key issues, pain points and challenges that startups face and how they can address them with a strategic approach to marketing and communications. My name is Russell Goldsmith and my co-host for this series of interviews is Taito's founder, Brendan Craigie. And today we are thrilled to be joined online from California by Mark Lee, founder and CEO of the remote access and remote support company Splashtop. Uh, founded in 2006, Splashtop raised $65 million in new funding at the start of 2021, which pushed the company's valuation to over $1 billion. Welcome to the show, Mark. Can we start by you just talking us through the origins of Splashtop? And it will also be good just to understand the relationship that you've got with your co-founders. Sure. Well, thanks for having me. Sparsa has a unique story, I believe, to the extent that our co-founders, there are four, actually four of us, and we actually known each other since college days. We went to school together uh, at MIT in Cambridge, Boston. It's been a journey in the past 30-some years working closely together. This is actually our second startup together, so the whole Sparsatop story. And we started while in school, we were in uh, competitions, entrepreneurial competitions, our entrepreneurial interest uh, started when we were back at school. And it was used to be called 10K competition. I think the competition has expanded. Now it's 100K. So the winner gets 100K now. Back then, 10K was bigger than. <laughs> mm-hmm. So anyway, we did not win the competition, but we were runner up. After MIT, we decided all gone separate way, work at big company because we want to build a safety net <laughs> first. And also some of us, of course, need to pay down our school debt. And uh, our, our goal was to get back together after a few years of working and start something together. So in 2000, we launched our first company together after six, seven years of working at big corporations. Our first startup uh, was quite successful. I mean, we sold it to a public company after four years of working at it in uh, 2004. It was in the server management space. Today's HP, Dell, IBM servers are still using our software from 20-some years ago. It's an embedded data center system management software. So after that success, we decided to, in 2006, the company bought us, public company. We stayed on for two years. There was a golden handcuff, and uh, but we were itching to start something new again. So in 2006, we, the same team. We're still together, and uh, you know, we, we launched... Uh, actually, back then, the company was called Device VM, and later on, switched to Sparktop. I was going to ask, why change the name then? You know, where does that come from? So our first startup was in the server data center management, and server market was about 10 million units a year. Uh, after the first startup, we started thinking, hey, you know, PC market is much bigger. It's three, 400 million PCs a year. Why don't we focus on the bigger volume market? <laughs> well, the biggest problem we saw back then was uh, it was Windows XP days. Right? So if people can date back, Windows XP takes forever to boot up. The more software you install on it, there's the concept of WinRot. You know, it just takes longer and longer for a Windows to boot up. Often we turn on the power, we go get a cup of coffee uh, and come back. And hopefully Windows is up and running. And back then, internet was people just want to get online very quickly. Check the weather, check some emails, and, and then before they head off the road or some, you know, or, or, or get on other things they need to do. But uh, PC just takes forever to boot up. And so our thinking is, yeah, let's give people an instant on browser OS. And device VM, you know, VM stands for virtual machine. That was the company name. And we created an instant on browser OS. Uh, this is all predating uh, Google Chromebook, right? Today, people's 
when they think about browser OS, they think about Chromebook. And actually, this is for four years before Chromebook existed. We actually uh, ship on HP, Dell, Lenovo, Acer, Asus. Back then, there was a wave of netbook. We were the platform to enable the netbook. And we ship on over two, 300 million PC per year. Then the mobile wave came. And when the mobile wave came in late 2009, uh, iPhone, iPads, etc., we knew our days would be challenged because a fast boot PC is not going to be comparable to a mobile device in terms of instant on, always on. And so we knew we had to pivot. So we decided, hey, device VM, we need to pivot into the mobile space. How do we bridge between PC and mobile? And the product name was called Spartan. So we decided to just change our company name to the product name for consistency. Great story and great to get all of that history. Looking at the market today, what distinguishes you from or sets you apart from competitors in your space? Uh, so when we move into Spartan, we want to bridge between mobile devices and PC devices. And so remote access was the solutions that we thought would be the killer app on the mobile side. And that allow you to remote control and manage your PCs too. So we first launched our app on iPad. So it's really that consumerization usability that we focus on. And we actually were so successful on iPad App Store, we, we were even beating Angry Bird. So if you look at, you know, I guess, App Any chart or any chart back in 2010, 2011, we actually, for many months, we were actually the number one selling app on iPad beating every application, even games. Well, I think back then, a lot of people, when they first got their iPad, there were not that many applications on it too. So the first thing they thought about is, oh, what if I can access my Windows or Mac applications and data that's out there? So we were the top selling app. And that's what we built our brand, really this whole consumerization. And so ease of use. And people love our product, the performance. You know, uh, We can stream even 3D games. So people were even, oh, I, I don't have World of Warcraft on my iPad. But I can, look at this, I can stream my PC games. So, you know, when people post those type of video, uh, it tends to be viral and we get hundreds of thousands or millions of views. So very quickly, we establish our brand in the consumer space. But then a lot of business users, actually it turns out a lot of IT people and MSPs are gamers too. So, so they saw Sparktop and they start thinking, oh, okay. Well, this is so much faster than what I use today at work. Like uh, a lot of them use LockMeIn, TeamViewer, other remote control app, but they don't have this level of performance. But Sparsha was missing a few manageability features and they want more knobs to support customers. So they contacted us. We listened to these IT and MSPs and we added those features through the years. And now I would say 90 8% of our revenue is all B2B. We still generate a little bit of revenue from consumer, but really a uh, business market is our key focus now. So we do differentiate from performance, differentiate from ease of use. And uh, I would say, you know, our pricing is very attractive compared to a lot of our competitors. And, and it sounds like those consumer routes that you've got really have helped you to build the business into what it is today in terms of honing that, that consumer experience for the, for the business user. Correct. Yeah. I mean, it's this whole shadow IT wave, BYOD wave. All these really have helped us um, to expand to the market. But I, I guess ultimately also really listening to the customer. You know, at the early days or even today, you know, I get on all these discussion forums to help users because I want to know how people are using our product. I, I'm personally always involved uh, trying to make sure our customers are happy too. That's great. And maybe on that note, Mark, what, what have you kind of seen through the pandemic? Because I'm imagining 
a business like yours with your focus on remote computer access and so on, presumably that's had a, a big impact on your business. Yeah, the only silver lining in this whole pandemic is really, yeah, our, our business really has grown a lot uh, in the past year, uh, just like you know, people hear about Zoom and others because of the need for remote work, remote learning. I would say our business, uh, we publicly have shared that you know, our business grew over 160% last year. It was uh, strong demand from business. In the past, you know, a company might have only a few people needing remote access, but during pandemic, everyone needs remote access. So we've seen a lot of our customers expanded the number of seats or you know, we're charged per seat. And that really has uh, continued to propel our business. Uh, schools have been coming to us to enable remote labs. We did a survey, 90-some percent of the students really see hybrid learning as the future. And what our remote lab has enabled is many schools, they have physical labs that runs Adobe software, AutoCAD software, specialized software. And these require high-end workstations. Uh, with our product, we can extend out, out all these uh, software to students at home with any BYOD devices. Disney, you know, a lot of animation company, CBS, NBC, Golf Channels, etc., are all customers during COVID as they need to do remote video editing because we're well known for performance. So a lot of different studios, game studios, all came to us. And COVID research, a lot of medical equipment company, they came to us as their doctors uh, need to do research on Alzheimer and also COVID research, and they they've been using our product to enable remote research. Uh, so we feel very gratifying that we've been very much helping out all these business uh, and, and schools to be able to continue their what, what they need to achieve uh, in terms of their goals. So, so it's been a, a blessing. Yeah. It sounds like you've played a, a really critical role for a lot of organizations. I don't know whether there's anything that's worth elaborating on in terms of thinking about the remote economy and how that's becoming more and more important. Are, th- are there any key trends that you're seeing that are kind of worth touching on? Yeah, definitely. Um, during this whole digital transformation that Microsoft has talked about, <laughs> accelerated, compressed, and cybersecurity becomes super critical. You know, we saw the SolarWinds issues, the Kaseya issues. President came out with executive order, you know, that, hey, you know, all federal government, et cetera, should look at segmenting the network, ensuring you got, you know, a, a zero trust framework, right? So, so Garner also talked about zero trust, et cetera. So, and people do recognize that, VPN is broken. Today's VPNs, it's based on you know, 20, 30 years ago architecture, the hub-spoke architecture, when more and more workload applications are moving to the cloud. Right? Today, we're using Office 365. We're using Salesforce, ServiceNow. All the more and more application workload are in the cloud. And our employees are everywhere. Our employees no longer confine the corporate network. So how do you define that corporate perimeters? So the firewall was designed to assume everyone is working in the corporate network, in the data center, et cetera. So I think the whole security architecture is being rethought. And during COVID, we've seen a lot of customers bypassing their VPN using uh, SparkTalk. It's because, you know, the scalability, security challenges, et cetera, that people are facing. I, I think a lot of people are all talking about this whole cybersecurity risk is front and center for many business uh, concerns. Ransomware is everywhere. And we are seeing a lot of opportunity to build a, a stronger, better solution to protect our users, whatever they want to do uh, remotely. Remote is a new norm. Mark, I mentioned at the top of the show, you reached unicorn status at the start of the year. What would be good to know is how has that changed the perception of the business? 
actually two years ago, well, pre-COVID, I told the team we're going to become a unicorn, and that's our goal in two years. And well, pandemic really accelerated it. Uh, we achieved it in one year. So obviously, there was uh, people who are definitely ecstatic and proud uh, that we've been able to do that. And at the same time, we were achieving it while helping the world address this whole pandemic challenge. Uh, so so it's, it's a problem moment for every one of us. But obviously, as a CEO, my challenge to the team is, okay, well, we reach our unicorn status. What's our next big goal? So it's really part of that whole journey. We've been profitable for years. Since we pivoted the business from device VM to Sparktop, we haven't fundraised for over 10 years. We were bootstrapping after we had to pivot. And so, so you know, we bootstrapped to become profitable, cash flow positive. So when, when we were doing the unicorn round, we were actually, you know, in 2020, we were, we were generating tens of millions of dollars already. We, we did not need to raise a round, but we did the round primarily to elevate our brand because many people knows about us, but they don't know how big we are. And we want to begin to position ourselves towards IPO and we need to attract talents. So... In the past year, since Unicorn, we brought in CMO, we brought in head of sales, uh, you know, expanded our team significantly. And we continue to generate millions of dollars cash flow per month. We still haven't touched a single dollar of the money we raised. But obviously, it gives us this whole brand elevations uh, and positioning and uh, attracting talents. That's really the main goal of the Unicorn round. That's really interesting. I think you might be the first... CEO that we've interviewed that's talked about raising money really from a positioning perspective, but it makes a lot of sense. One of the areas that we kind of really like to drill into is communications and culture within business. You've obviously just touched a little bit on that, but what's been your approach to raise awareness and differentiate yourselves in a very crowded marketplace? Well, in terms of the whole culture, because we have four co-founders who've been around for 30 years, we're all pretty much like a family. So what really differentiates well, from other companies that I have come across is, and, and company I have worked for is I think we, we continue to have this great family caring culture. And because four of us behave in the same way, more or less, I, I think this culture permeates uh, across the company. You know, we, we care about every employee and the employee care about the company. And then, then in turn, I, I believe they care about the customers. It feels like it's a big company. Our, our, our team is very focused on customer success. You know, we want our customer to be very successful. You know, it, it's been reflected in our MPS. You know, every time someone uses our product, at the end of the product sessions, it will prompt uh, you know, rating, right? I, I think we've seen that with uh, several apps nowadays, but we were one of the very first to start doing that too. So we really care about to ensuring that you know, uh, user experience is always top of our mind. And we, we have a very transparent culture, right? So, so as part of, uh, kind of the style, how four of us operate, we share our financial information with uh, every employee. Every employee is a shareholder. We want them to be successful financially when we succeed. Everyone knows uh, how much revenue we generate per month uh, at the end of the month, how much profit we generate per uh, end of the month. And, and we want to make it clear that everyone can make a difference. We try to hire the people that are a good fit for the culture too. You know, a lot of times, a lot of company when they try to accelerate their growth, they hire very fast and then they try to churn. We actually spend our time making sure it's a good fit because we actually have been trying to slow down our hiring to make sure we have the right people joining us. And that's actually more critical in our mind to preserve this culture and having fun because uh, for us, life is too short and <laughs> and all four of us are fun-loving 
people and we we enjoy the whole journey of learning and want to be sure that you know everyone have a great career growth personal growth financial success all together in this whole journey and while having fun together i love that yeah as, as you said everyone can share in that success and that, that kind of leads nicely on to the, the question i wanted to ask about internal communications because p- particularly over the last year it'd be good to know how you know you've talked about how much the company's grown as well so how you're navigating that need to communicate with individuals, with teams, and then the whole company as well, particularly, as I said, given everyone's working remotely and they're spread out, you know, so so wide across territories. Despite, you know, we have a remote work solutions, I would say, you know, pre-COVID, actually, most of our employees are here in the Silicon Valley. So it's been a kind, somewhat more a learning process for us. Uh, as well. But fortunately, because we have a, a good remote solutions, all of us was instantly ready to do well to be remote work. And as we were growing, we actually started hiring people all over the US. We felt actually, you know, our products works well to support remote work. Uh, so our CMO actually is based in Denver. Our head of sales is based in Texas. And we have employees in New York. We have employees in, in Georgia. So we start hiring people all over the U.S. actually during pandemic. And we put down all the tools needed, uh, obviously, to support that, including Sparshell's own, uh, we eat our own dog food. And Microsoft Teams has been very, very helpful in terms of supporting ad hoc discussions. And because we have a, a very open, transparent culture, I'm constantly sending out updates with the team, constantly communicating. We have scheduled uh, a, a monthly town hall type meetings, allowing employees to ask questions and discuss things that are on their mind. And we put together a remote work package too for employees because you know we, we recognize that not everyone has strong internet at home or to subscribe to. So we have subsidy for that. You know, some people don't have good monitor at home. We have subsidy for that. So so different things that we put together to make sure that hey, uh, everyone can be comfortably remote work during this whole process and putting all the tools. And I think it's it is part of that culture that we're very open and transparent uh, that really helps you've just spoken a lot about the kind of internal side of communication i'm just wondering in terms of the external side and you being the representative of the company as as happens with the ceo you know you you're part of a team and you've got three other co-founders but often people look to the ceo as the external representative i just wondered like how do you view that role and 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 how, what have you learned along the way it's been a lot of good learning experience by when I okay, when I first started, it was more talking to venture capitalists, right, VCs, because you know you got to put together decks, convince people that to put money in, writing the checks, right. So, so that's always kind of like the the, the number one challenge in starting a venture is okay, doing presentation to the venture capitalists. And I think through the years, I've gotten better and better at it. If I look at myself, I kind of always view myself as an introvert. So it's been a, a bit of learning. But on the other hand. If I compare to all my, you know, many MIT colleagues that I have seen, I'm actually an extrovert. <laughs> so, so actually out of the full co-founder, I'm, the reason I'm a CEO is actually you know, I, I can communicate better and convince the, uh, the venture capitalists better, et cetera, in this whole process. I would say it's, it's largely a learning process and, and it's a force function uh, when you have to raise capital. Uh, but obviously with, uh, you know, with the unicorn rounds, with preparation towards IPO, there's a lot of more uh, public learning that, you know, facing uh, public analysts, et cetera, that we need to prepare towards. I wouldn't have guessed that you're an introvert, um, but 
Have you had to kind of formulate a plan to work on that communication side or did you just naturally find that that you were quite good at it? Well, I, I think my uh, marketing team is put, putting together a media training plan for me. <laughs> so I, I'm sure there's always going to be a lot of things that I need to improve upon. I think, you know, getting on the stage is a little bit different from on a Zoom call too, etc. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of improvements that I look forward to. I think uh, in the podcast, obviously people want to hear audio, but there's going to be a lot of gestures and projections of voices. And I, I guess, yeah, a good combination of things that can make a more powerful speech. Yeah. Very good. Mark, we're closing towards the, uh, well, coming towards the close of the, of the podcast. Um, there's, there's just a few more questions we wanted to ask you, kind of more sort of like business in general. The first is what initial decision is most vital to building a successful business? And you've done a few now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, thank you. Uh, yeah. So it's the team. Earlier I mentioned, you know, we got four co-founders. It's amazing. I, I guess people always are amazed that we've been still friends <laughs> after 30 some years. I mean, in business too, right? I think, you know, there's always going to be a lot of uh, disagreements when we discuss different business uh, topics and uh, view of different priorities. And so because the trust that we have built among us, you know, is unparalleled and we know one another's strength and weakness so we can execute fast. We know that that's a strength we've got. I mean, there's zero politics. It's all very open communication. We know any disagreement is about the task. It's not personal. Sometimes, you know, people might feel personal, but after a few drinks, we're all good. Back, <laughs> back to where we started, right? Yeah. So, so, you know, it's, it's again, having fun. Uh, there's a lot of uh, off-work gathering too as part of that whole culture and, and relationship. So I think because it's a long journey, there's going to be a lot of ups and downs. I view, you know, building the right team is so critical in this whole process. And even finding the right investor is, is part of that whole process too. It's this team. Actually, most of our investors or this company was in our prior company. When we uh, sold last company and ready to start a new company, two VC that invested in our prior company came to me and say, it doesn't matter. You don't need a business plan. Whatever you guys want to do, we'll be funding it, right? They don't even really care what ideas we, we will come up with. They, they just kind of felt, hey, you guys will figure it out and you will grow a business. And so, so it's the trust and relationship. And they, you know, this company gone through pivots. It's been, you know, since 2006, 14 years. A lot of VC usually will have exited, uh, tried to sell their position, et cetera. They just stick with us despite the downs. And so it's, it's been a, 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 a great journey with a, a lot of uh, great supportive people. Uh, it's really assembling the team in my mind. Yeah. But a lot, along that journey, there must have been some mistakes. So, what, what, <laughs> so what, what's the biggest one you've made? How did you fix it? But also based on the relationship you, you're saying you've got with your co-founders, if, if you or one of them has made a real major mistake, how has that impacted on that relationship? Well, we started as Device VM. I, I mentioned we had to pivot. And actually, Device VM was very successful at its peak. We had 300-some employees. So that was 2010. We were shipping on 300-some million netbook per year. Uh, I mean, with all these PCOM, netbook, notebooks, and PCs. But then as we had to pivot, our revenue was declining and we had to lay off people. As a CEO, I'm always optimistic. I'm, you know, just by nature of uh, doing a startup CEO, I'm super optimistic. I felt I could drive new revenue to compensate for the declining revenue from the old business very quickly, but it did not happen as quickly as I like. 
And we end up having to, you know, let go of people through a process of a year and a half. You know, we had to downsize from 300 people to 60 people over a year and a half. And that was really, really painful because I was really optimistic that, hey, it's a family. We don't want to let go of these people. Let's figure a way out and, and to grow a new business. But it did not come in as fast as to support such a big organization. And in retrospect, I think definitely would have been better if we cut harder and faster uh, versus you know extending that drive. It was tough on our founders too, because a lot of them need to be talking almost like to a family member that sorry, we just cannot, you know, answer for a year and a half, right? Slowly a treat uh, a letting go different group of people. So so I I wouldn't say you know it's a it's a big mistake because we it's more a lesson learned, I guess. That that was the, the the biggest challenge I have faced in my career, essentially letting go of people you really you know trust and work together for years. Yeah, that must have been really tough. And thank you for sharing that. Um, I may be connected to that. I mean, I don't know whether um, this was part of the same journey, but like, what's the biggest communications challenge you've ever faced and along along your journey, and and how did you overcome it? Our communication has not been run into too many challenges i would say uh because we've been well i guess maybe we've just been very fortunate uh in terms of uh staying open communicating with all our employee uh we're very transparent to our, our pricing is super transparent to customers too and they know what they're getting into we have a seven-day trial over half of our trials self-convert without us ever touching them the product speaks for itself and we have transparent pricing we have great customer support uh, so we have not had to face too much knock on wood, I guess, uh, you know, these communication challenges, both externally and internally, I would say, in the process. But we're always, well, with a unicorn round, with our new CMO on board, marketing team in place, we're making investments to really up-level our branding, our communications, especially towards up-market, right? So traditionally, well, our sales motions is really inside sales, self-service, SMB, small business uh, focus. But as we move up market, we see there's going to be a lot more external communication that we need to do. And that's uh, actually, you know, why I'm here also for the podcast. Uh, (laughs) We're really trying to go out and uh, talk to the world uh, and tell our stories. It's our pleasure to help <laughs> as much as we can. Um, listen, Mark, we've got, got a final question. That kind of leads nicely onto it, actually, because I'm, I'm just keen to understand what's next, like next 6, 18 months, but also beyond that, what, what legacy do you want to leave as a company? There are probably two main aspects. I think this whole remote work, remote learning is here to stay. And the need for a secure remote access solution is super critical for our future economy, digital economy. Uh, how do we prevent all these uh, cyber attacks effectively and with an ease of use product? Because security and simplicity always kind of go diagonal. It's difficult to build a secure product that's not complicated. You know, it, it, gets, it can get very complex. And we believe, you know, we want to play a critical role in that whole process to make us essentially deliver a, a, a bet, you know, much better user experience for a, a, a super secure product that requires huge dollar spending, et cetera, right? Complexity come with a lot of investment too. So that's definitely one area that we, we believe want to make a better world uh, 
um, for. Uh, second is, yeah, um, it's really coming down to the people, our, our team, that, you know, in this whole process, we want to be sure everyone is growing well professionally as well as personally. And then at the end, you know, as I mentioned, we believe everyone should enjoy the financial success uh, together. And I wouldn't want to call all these a legacy. It's just kind of who we are. <laughs> That's a great way to finish. Uh, Mark Lee, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. No, thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. Really enjoyed that, Brendan. Um, what was your thoughts on on what Mark had to say? Well, yeah, really inspiring stories, really, and really felt like we got to go under the bonnet and understand the history of the company and the culture. Um, so I really enjoyed it. I thought a few things that jumped out to me because they kind of resonated with me as a more modest CEO of a smaller enterprise, <laughs> but where the importance of having the right team and having the right team from the beginning. Because I kind of remember when we started and have a small group of uh, founders, but they're all still with the company. So I can that really resonated with me. And then the other thing that resonated with me was um, the point about all employees sharing in the company's success. Again, that's something that we've done is we've made every employee a shareholder in the company. And I think it really helps because it allows you to get everyone on board and everyone really buys into what you're doing if they feel like they've got a stake in the company. So yeah, I really enjoyed that. And I yeah, those were just a couple of things that really um, shone out for me. Yeah. Right place, right time, or just foresight? It's kind of really interesting, the whole pivoting thing in terms of, um, you know, just how they developed a technology that, uh, well, initially was kind of used in, in networks, but then ultimately became the great basis on which to enable pro users and consumers to get access things remotely. And then... Obviously, as we've seen within the world of technology, the consumerization of IT, you know, is just kind of seen that focus on usability mean that things then really take off within a business environment. So maybe I, I think ultimately what they got right was um, focusing on the user and focusing on the user experience. And if you do that, then then you're, you know, you're going to be destined for success. Well, that's it for this latest episode in this special series with Taito. If you want to find out more about Splashtop, then their website is simply splashtop.com. Uh, we'd love to hear your comments on today's chat. Uh, you can share them on our Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram or Twitter feeds or in the comments of the YouTube version of this podcast. And those are all linked from the top of our website at csuitepodcast.com, where you'll also find all our previous shows and supporting show notes, plus links to where you can follow us for automatic downloads of each episode via the likes of Spotify and Apple. And if you've liked what you've heard, please do give us a positive rating and review. Uh, we're, of course, available on all podcast apps. Just search for the C-Suite podcast and hit follow or subscribe. Uh, you can also subscribe to the Without Borders podcast from our partners at Taito. And all the details for that are on their website. Uh, just head to taitopr.com and click on the podcast link in the top navbar. Uh, plus, you can also download a copy of Growing Without Borders, the Unicorn CEO Guide to Communication and Culture uh, from Taito's website too, which is a great overview of the first 15 of our unicorn interviews. If you are a unicorn leader yourself and you'd like to be part of this series, then please do get in touch via the contact form on the website at csuitepodcast.com. Plus, of course, anyone can get in touch too with any feedback you may have. And finally, you can also reach me via Twitter using at Ross Goldsmith, or you can find me on LinkedIn. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.